Amen. Well, we welcome you to the Central Assembly live stream. Thank you for being a part of of what we're doing this morning. Uh, I love love to worship. I love our time together. And uh, it's just good to be in the presence of the Lord. Uh, As the days go by, the older I get, the longer I'm around, uh, the more I realize how much I need Jesus. Well, it's it's Palm Sunday, and we're, we're heading into Easter. Everyone makes lots of plans this time of year, especially in, in the religious world. Around here, the evangelical churches plan for a combined Good Friday service. The individual churches plan for Easter, their biggest Sunday of the year. And families make plans to go out to dinner or to go over to grandma's house for a feast of some sort. Everyone has plans. Everyone knows what's happening. Everyone knows exactly what's going down. Well, that stands in stark contrast to the year all of this began. As the events of the crucifixion unfolded over 2,000 years ago now, no one knew what was happening. Who could know where it was all leading? It's known as the passion. The passion of the Christ refers to the suffering of Jesus. And no one saw it coming. No one knew what was happening except one man. From our perspective, when we read the story, we know the end of all things. We we read it knowing how it all turns out. It's like watching the rerun of an old Super Bowl. It's, it's still interesting, but you know the final score, so you look at it different. It's very different watching it live when you don't know where the storyline is going. And it was very different for everyone present when Jesus was arrested and things began to unfold. From the perspective of everyone back then, who knew? Who knew? Who could possibly have known where this was all going? That's the title of today's message. Who knew? The text is found in Mark chapter 15, and you can turn there as we read from there in a few moments. You know, Jesus had been in trouble before. The scribes and the Pharisees had tried to trap him in his words, and and they tried to get him to stumble in front of the people with whom he was beginning to gain favor. But he had always talked his way out of it. He always seemed to have the right words to say. He would stop the priests in their tracks and render the experts in the Mosaic law speechless. There were times when he was uh, seemingly cornered and the angry mob was pressing in, and yet somehow he would manage to slip away undetected. But this time would be different. Who knew? Who could possibly understand what was happening? Only one man. It's like the beginning of this whole coronavirus deal. Who could have known where this was heading? Remember when we first started hearing about it? Remember when it all began to roll out slowly at first and and everything was changing moment to moment? Every day was a new limitation, a new restriction, a new place you couldn't go, a new thing you couldn't do, a new cancellation. Groups of 250, remember that? 
Let's try to keep it to 250. Then it was 50. Then it was under 10. And now you can't leave your house unless you're deemed essential. It began slowly, but it methodically and relentlessly gained momentum until we found ourselves somewhere we never thought we would be. Who could have seen where it was going? Who knew? And the same was true regarding the events leading up to the crucifixion. Jesus had warned them, but it wasn't sinking in. We tend to operate in some measure of denial, don't we? We, we watch our parents age and still somehow we believe they'll always be there. I maintain no one knew what was happening as the suffering of Jesus was about to commence. It was unfolding by the moment and it was getting away from them in a hurry. It was like a fire that was suddenly out of control and beyond anyone's ability to do anything about. And no one knew what was happening except one man. One man knew. Who knew? The disciples didn't know. Jesus had tried to position the disciples for this moment, but they couldn't see past Jesus as deliverer and liberator. They had come to believe he was the Messiah, and he was. But who could have known this was how it would play out? It was impossible for them to see the crucifixion in the mix of coming events. If Jesus was going to rule, he would have to win, right? But this was going somewhere that didn't feel at all like winning. Peter certainly couldn't see it coming. He had watched Jesus walk on the water. Peter had watched Jesus be transfigured. Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter had seen Jesus do amazing things. All the disciples did. And there was just no reason for any of the disciples to think Jesus would not emerge triumphant now. Philip certainly wouldn't have seen this coming. Philip was the bookkeeper of the bunch, not the treasurer, the bookkeeper. He was analytical and calculating. Philip was a realist, and as a result, he was very skeptical when Jesus wanted to feed the 5,000. Remember the story back in John chapter 6? Philip suggested sending the people home for lunch, and Jesus said, well, why don't you feed them? And Philip responded, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have even a little. And then he watched as Jesus took two fish and five small loaves of bread and provided a meal for thousands upon thousands of people with an abundance to spare. The disciples had watched Jesus cast out demons in the cemetery and heal the sick right in the middle of the street. He calmed storms and he called Lazarus forth from four days dead. There was nothing he couldn't do. He always had the answer. He always knew what to say. He always knew what to do. He had worked his way out of tougher spots than this. The disciples had no idea what was going on. They had no idea what was happening right before their eyes. They only knew their hopes and their dreams were fading. Who knew? 
Pontius Pilate didn't know. Pilate had been appointed prefect of Judea. He was the man who presided over the trial of Jesus when the events of his crucifixion were still in the embryonic stage. It's recorded in all four Gospels, of course, but let's read this morning from Mark's account, beginning in uh, chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answering said, You said it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. Down to verse 6, Now that the feast Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas who had committed murder in the insurrection. Verse 9, Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What should I do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil has he done? And they cried out more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Pilate had no idea the play he had been cast into. He was as oblivious as it gets. Not that he didn't know something was happening. He did. But like so many others, he didn't know what. One unusual twist involved Pilate's wife. She was uncomfortable with Jesus being on trial. And when Pilate was set down on the judgment seat, Matthew 27, 19 says, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with this just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife had a sense that something was happening here, but she didn't know what it was either. And as I read of Pilate's role in the trial, I don't see an evil man. I see a weak man. He's at best a reluctant participant. He repeatedly finds Jesus innocent of any wrongdoing. Why, what evil has he done? He asks the crowd. But in the end, he's more concerned with saving his own skin, ensuring his own livelihood, and protecting his own political career. Pilate was right there in the middle of the action. He had a major role in the grand production that we know as the passion of the Christ. But Pilate, like the disciples, didn't really know what was happening. He had no clue to the significance of the events which he was helping to orchestrate. Pilate didn't know. Who knew? There was only one man who knew. Mary didn't know. Mary knew something was happening. She could certainly see that this was heading downhill in a hurry. And as she watched her 
son suffer, perhaps her mind drifted back to when he was just eight days old. And she and Joseph brought him to the temple to Simeon to be dedicated in Luke chapter 2. Verse 28 of that chapter says, And Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God as he prayed over the infant Jesus, referring to him as, in verse 32, a light to the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. And Joseph and his mother, the Bible says, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. And a, and a sword shall pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And now it was all playing out, just as Simeon had said. The thoughts of many were being revealed in the events of the day. And Mary's heart was being pierced with the ultimate sorrow. It's a mother's worst nightmare watching her child suffer. And here, here she was. And while she was aware of what was happening right before her eyes, Mary was unaware of the implications and the ramifications of it all. She was acutely aware of the pain, but even she did not realize what was happening? Who knew? One man knew. It wasn't Judas. Judas didn't know. Judas, of course, was one of the 12 disciples, one of the originals. And I always find it interesting that in the four lists of all 12 disciples found in the Bible, Judas is listed last in every one of them. Rightly so, I suppose. Judas is the one who sold out Jesus to the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver. But I don't think he was ever out to kill Jesus. I believe Judas was ambitious politically. He saw Jesus as a revolutionary capable of overthrowing the Roman government. And as treasurer of the disciples with Jesus, this would put Judas in on the ground floor of any new government established by Jesus and his band of radicals. But the process was moving too slow for him. Like many Jews, Judas envisioned the Messiah riding in on a white horse and conquering all who would stand in opposition. But it wasn't unfolding that way. Jesus was subtle and patient. He, he wasn't conquering a political kingdom. His kingdom was within the, heart of, the hearts of men. For Judas, this was taking way too long, and he grew impatient. I do not believe for a minute that Judas wanted to see Jesus crucified. I believe he was trying to expedite the process. He was trying to bring it all to a head. He was trying to force the hand of Jesus, so that he would have to play all his cards and defeat the Roman authorities. But the plan of Judas went awry. Jesus was arrested and led away to be tortured and crucified. Judas had no idea that this was going to happen. And this explains why he was so despondent as these events unfolded. In Matthew 27, verse 3, it says, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that Jesus was condemned, repented, and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, 
saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what's that to us? What do we care? And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Why did, why did Judas do that? Because he had no idea what or why this was happening. He could not have known. No one knew except one man. One man knew exactly what was happening. One man understood perfectly what was going on. One man saw the events transpiring before him exactly for what they were. One man knew. One man got it. One man saw the situation for what it really was. And that man was Barabbas. Barabbas was the only person who knew exactly what was happen happening. In fact, he understood perfectly. Barabbas is one of the fascinating characters in Scripture, and somehow his life intersects with, with the life of the Messiah at the trial of Jesus. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. Jesus was standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, who had already declared him innocent. Think about that. Who had already declared him innocent and was looking for a reason to release Jesus and still keep the peace. Apparently, the release of a Jewish prisoner was customary before the feast of the Passover. The Roman governor would annually grant clemency to one criminal as an act of goodwill toward the Jews whom he governed. So Pilate offered the mob a choice. They could release Jesus or Barabbas. Pilate assumed Jesus would be the people's choice. Barabbas, after all, was an infamous criminal who had been imprisoned for committing murder at an uprising. The choice Pilate set before them could not have been more contrasted. A well-known troublemaker and killer who was unquestionably guilty or the beloved teacher and miracle worker who was unquestionably innocent. But in a bizarre plot twist, the crowd chose Barabbas to be released. And even Pilate seems a bit surprised by the crowd's choice. I, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things whereof you accuse him. It says in Luke 23, 14. Pilate knew the charges against Jesus were bogus and he appealed to the crowd multiple times and with some desperation for them to choose more sensibly. Verse 22 says, And he said unto them for the third time in Luke 23, why? What evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. It was all happening so fast. It had, it had gotten away from, from Judas and the disciples were sort of oblivious to it all. Pilate was just trying to appease the people and Mary was in agony watching Jesus suffer. 
But no one was really aware of exactly what was happening except Barabbas. Barabbas understood perfectly. Barabbas knew he was guilty and he knew Jesus was about to take his place. He knew the penalty that was really his would be paid by Jesus. Barabbas understood it all too well that though tried and though convicted, he would go free at the expense of one who was innocent. Who knew? Barabbas knew. Barabbas knew all too well. The story of Barabbas and his release from condemnation is a remarkable parallel to the story of every believer. Do you want to know who you are in this story? You're Barabbas. We stood guilty before God. The verdict was in. The sentence had been determined. The die had been cast. And the wages of sin is death, the Bible says. But somehow we were released and Jesus was led to the cross in our stead. For he has made him to be sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The innocent one bore the punishment we rightly deserved. We, like Barnabas, we, like Barabbas, were allowed to go free. Our penalty was paid by an innocent man. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Who knew? Barabbas knew. He knew all too well. He saw it as clearly as anyone possibly could. He was as good as dead. He was on death row. But when Jesus came onto the scene and was offered in his place, Barabbas could go free. The innocent would die for the guilty. Barabbas got it. Who knew? I'll tell you who knew. Barabbas knew. And we're all left to wonder what happened to Barabbas after his release. The Bible gives us no information and secular history is of no help either. Did he go back to his life of crime? Or was he so thankful that he turned over a new leaf and became the citizen of the year? Or did he seek to know more about this Jesus who died in his place? And did he eventually become a Christian? We're left to wonder if he was affected at all by this bizarre prisoner exchange that would become the pattern for your salvation and mine. No one knows. But we do know this, the choices available to Barabbas are available to each of us today. We can go back to our life of sin, or we can try to be a good person and, and attain our own righteousness. Or we can seek more of Jesus and surrender to him in gratitude for what he's done on our behalf. There was a lot happening at the crucifixion. It would take a while before it all came into focus, even for those closest to Jesus. But Barabbas knew exactly what had happened. Barabbas was guilty. He knew that. Jesus was innocent. And yet Jesus was taking his place and paying his penalty. 
It was all very clear to Barabbas. And hopefully, it's all very clear to you. Would you bow your head and would you pray with me? Lord, as we contemplate the passion of the Christ, as we contemplate the suffering of Jesus, there's so much happening, there's so many moving parts. And yet we come at it from the perspective of already knowing how it ends. But in the midst of it all, it must have been so confusing to the disciples, to Mary, to to Judas, to Pilate, Who knew what was happening? But there was one guy, Barabbas, who saw it so clearly. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was guilty. He knew he had transgressed the law repeatedly. He had already been tried. The sentence was given. The die had been cast. And then Jesus entered the picture. Jesus would be crucified. Jesus would pay the penalty. The innocent would die for the guilty, the just for the unjust, and Barabbas would go free. Wow. That's that's my story. So what do we do with that? Where Where do we go with that? I know we can just live life our own way and do our own thing. That's an option. Or we can try to be good. But that's futile. The real option, the best option, is to give it all to Jesus. He paid the price. We were bought with a price. And now we belong to him. And so we choose to surrender. We choose to live for him. We choose to live in such a way that would draw people unto the things of God. And so, Lord, today we just want to surrender it all to you. In the midst of difficult times, in the midst of adversity and trials, an uncertain future, as far as the world goes, We just want to surrender it all to you. Lord, you're a good God. You sent your only begotten son into the world to die for Barabbas. You sent your only begotten son into the world to die for me. And so today, I I receive that from you. The one who knew no sin became sin for me. And so I give my life back. I repent of my sins. I confess my sins. And I choose to begin to live by faith. To live according to the word of God. To trust that what you say is true. That your promises will come to pass. So Lord, we just love you. Thank you for salvation. So full and so free. We receive it from you today. And we choose to walk in it, to live in it by faith in the person of Jesus Christ.